Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode, I'll be talking about Glenn Kessler and the Washington Post are still full of crap. Jumping over the hill, uh, the Lincoln Project called Weaver a predator, a liar, and an abuser. If you don't know, Weaver is the gentleman from the Lincoln Project who liked to groom 15-year-old boys. Uh, House Democrats call for demographic breakdown on COVID-19 vaccines. And CNN to Governor Whitmer, do you now believe in hindsight that the anti-lockdown protest in Lansing was a dry run of some kind for what happened with the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, a sort of dress rehearsal. Let's get started with that. I want to ask you about the Department of Homeland Security's warning that went out last week about the increase of domestic extremism, domestic terrorism. So is it an increase from last year? Because I'm old enough to remember last year was nonstop violence. Last year was nonstop buildings on fire, cops having bricks thrown at them, all in the name for change. And guess what you call violence in the name of political change? That's called terrorism, friends. And if it's done domestically, oh my goodness, we have domestic terrorism. So don't say this is a brand new phenomenon. You normalize this. CNN normalized this behavior last year. And now when the people that they dislike uh, magically started using this tactic and it was just a one-time thing. And there was a lot of suspicious things going around with the, with the Capitol riot, right? There was not enough police there. The mayor turned down federal assistance. The mayor turned down National Guard troops. The mayor did not have enough police presence to deal with the 1.3 million people that were there. And yet there is no blame being assigned to her. Everybody else has received blame. The sergeants at arms for the House and the Senate have been relieved of duty. The uh, police chief for the Capitol Police has, has uh, resigned. So a lot of people have basically had their heads chopped off due to their incompetence, but I believe one of the main uh, culprits of being incompetent still hasn't even been accused of being incompetent. And that's kind of criminal, especially from news organizations. They need to be asking the tough questions, but obviously they're not. And this is actually a bipartisan thing. No one's actually talking about Whitmer. No one has brought up the question other than some, you know, some news articles basically saying, hey, why does she deny this? But that's not hitting the news cycle. No one's actually talking about it. They're not saying, well, why didn't you do this? Why wouldn't you even consider that? There was intelligence on the ground that people have been planning this for months. Why were there not enough police? Why were there not enough security around the Capitol building? What was your plan? What was your logic behind it? What was your reasoning? Why did you deny all the backup? Right. There's so many questions that need to be asked and nobody's asking it. Let's keep going. You are no stranger to this. Obviously, you have been on the receiving end of this in Michigan. And what we saw happen at the State House in Michigan in April of 2020, here is some video of this. Do you now believe, in hindsight, that this was a dry run of some kind for what happened with the insurrection at the Capitol? All right, that's such a BS question. 
this happened nearly a year ago. How can this be seen as a dry run? They came in peacefully, I'm pretty sure. I don't believe they broke in doors. I'm pretty sure no one was killed on either side. They went in and they were screaming because they wanted to go back to work. They saw the mayor, they saw the, the mayor's family be able to do whatever they wanted to do while these individuals were losing everything due to the draconian lockdowns. They weren't allowed to work and they weren't being paid for not working, right? The government wasn't subsidizing them for not working. So what are they supposed to do? These people were desperate. You still have people in America that are desperate because they still can't work and they're still not receiving the $2,000 checks that Warnock said. He said, vote for me and you'll get a $2,000 check. Again, I still believe that's a bribe, but guess what? There's still not a $2,000 check and now it's $1,400. Now they're talking about a $1,000 check. Now they're talking about means testing a check. What the heck is going on? Stick with a plan. If you're going to say something, if you say you're going to do something, stick to it. Don't disappoint people. Democrats, take the easy win. It's not that hard. You promised a $2,000 check deliver on that $2,000 check. If you don't, you're going to have a lot of people who kind of crossed over thinking that I really need that $2,000. I'll suck it up. I normally vote red and I voted blue because I really need the money and I can suck it up for two years. And guess what? They're going to say never again. And then you're going to have people that voted blue, no matter who go, well, why did I vote blue? Because when I needed help and they promised that they were going to help me, they did everything but help me. And they blamed the minority party and they had no influence. They had no say on what was going on. They didn't even bring it to a floor vote. That's one thing. If Senate, if the Senate or the House were to take the uh, stimulus bill uh, for a vote and then the GOP were to filibuster or they were to strike it down, not have enough votes, etc., um, then you can have an excuse and say, look, it's the GOP holding it up. But right now you're not even taking it to the floor. So it's a, it's a non-starter, right? You can't even say, you can't even blame it on the GOP if they haven't done anything yet. You can't say, well, they're, they are going to do it. Well, you don't know what's going to happen because anything can happen, right? We didn't know what was going to happen on the 6th until the 6th happened. So it's kind of bananas. People need to be more uh, genuine. People need to be more authentic. This sort of talk saying, well, you know, this seemed like a dry run. Oh, it's all only the far right wing. No, bro. Uh, Portland is still under massive riots, even since Biden has taken uh, office and no one's calling that terrorism. You had people, armed people go into a hotel, occupy a hotel, threaten people inside that hotel. And guess what? You're still not calling that terrorism. They want to influence policy. That is domestic terrorism. So don't try to only label your political opposition terrorists while calling your people activists or just, you know, bad apples or whatever and try to go, oh, well, you know, that's not really part of the whole. That's not something we really like to focus on. You know, they're just, you know, outside or, you know, those are actually Proud Boys or whatever. Those aren't actually, you know, those aren't actually Antifa or whatever. Antifa's just a, a, a thought. That's not really a thing. No, you it's not a thought for a year. At a certain point, you have to acknowledge that it it exists, right? It's been going on for a year. It's been just nonstop nonsense. We need to address it. And 
domestic terrorism on both sides is wrong. Violence for no reason, violence for no reason is wrong. Controlled violence is appropriate, but violence for what? What? What is it going to accomplish? What did the Capitol riots accomplish? What is being accomplished in Portland? What's being accomplished throughout the country last year when buildings were on fire, businesses were destroyed, things were looted? What was accomplished? Nothing was accomplished through the acts of looting. It was all through the peaceful protests. It was all through the activism. It was all through the civil disobedience. So that's what needs to be uh that's what needs to be promoted. That's what needs to be seen. But only showing the one side at their worst, but only showing the other side at their best is really disingenuous, especially when the one side, when their one time was at their worst, uh, was only one time as opposed to 10% of the time. And it happens hundreds and hundreds of times last year. So you need to, you need to put it in perspective. So you had one slip up from one group and you want to label half the country domestic terrorists. You had hundreds of people or hundreds of events last year that turned into riots where more people died than unarmed black people from police um, during these riots last year. And what that's just, you know, we're just not going to talk about it. Come on. You got to be even handed with this. You have to go. No, both are wrong. Both are terrorism. If you're going to use violence and destructions, uh, destruction to influence a political change, if you're going to do it to change policy, that is domestic terrorism. We need to be consistent about it. You can't have two standards. You cannot have a united country that way. All right, let's jump over to House Democrat calls for demographic breakdown on COVID-19 vaccine. Rep. Uh, Grace Meng uh, of New York on Sunday called on Javier Becerra, President Biden's nominee for Health and Human Services Secretary, to collect and provide data breaking down the demographics of vaccine administration in order to address health inequities across vulnerable populations. Racial inequities in health, justice, housing, employment, and education have been rife and buried deeply into our nation's social fabric, Meng said in a statement. Blacks, Asians, Hispanics, Native Americans, other minority groups, and the LGBTQI uh, uh, communities and disabled Americans have struggled to achieve true equality before the national health pandemic happened. Meng is currently looking to get other lawmakers to sign a letter to Becerra, which she plans to send on Monday. A national demographic breakdown of administered COVID-19 vaccines is imperative for Congress to assess and address where the gaps are in COVID-19 vaccination rollout, Meng wrote. This information will also be critical in addressing long-term health disparities and racial inequalities among vulnerable populations. Everyone must be vaccinated and communities of colors must have equal access, Meng said. So I'm going to stop right there. Uh, I'm old enough to remember where there's there has been a lot of reporting of how older minorities do not want to take this vaccine because they remember the Tuskegee experiments. They don't want to be the guinea pigs. They don't want the vaccine. And it's not a racial thing. Well, it is sort of a racial thing, but it's because they don't trust the medical system. They've been used. You have certain populations in the minority population that have been used as guinea pigs before, and they don't want to be used that way again. And they feel that way. You have a vaccine that's been rolled out extremely quickly and they don't trust it. And can you blame them? You now have the president and the vice president who spent nearly a year saying that 
they wouldn't trust a vaccine produced by Trump because he would produce an unsafe vaccine. He would cut corners. He would uh, try to have it produced by the or he would try to have it uh, green lighted before the election. That way he can try to win it. So you have the news and the political now the president and the vice president for months, for months saying that it was impossible and it wouldn't be safe if it did happen. And you shouldn't trust anything coming from Trump. And then it happens. And guess what, people? are going to do. They're not going to trust it. So you have bipartisan untrustworthiness of the vaccine. So what are you supposed to accomplish? And it's not just that. Right now, the vaccine is still rolling out towards a lot of first responders. So I don't know what the demographic breakdown is of first responders, but you can't just say, well, you know, the vaccine's only been rolled out for a month. We need to see what the demographics are. Well, no, because if right now, if the primary group that it's going out to is first responders. It's going to be whatever the demographic of first responders are. It's going to be the demographics of the vaccine rollout. And then also you have the argument that you have white people who live older than other minorities due to underlying health conditions. So you might have more white people having received the vaccines if they live longer. And so if they live longer, if they're older than the age of 70, if you have more white people that live more uh, live older than the age of 70. And then you have minorities who don't trust the vaccine. So you kind of have, you know, a perfect storm where you might not have as many minorities who want to take the vaccine. And it's not white people's fault. It's not even the government's fault. Well, it's the government's fault from 100 years ago, but it's not the government's fault that it's not uh, being distributed equitably. Right. It's they choose not to take it. And if it's their choice, it's their body. They're not being forced to take it until people are being forced to take it. You can't say, well, we need a demographic breakdown. We can't deny service to people who request the shot because guess what? Are you going to say, well, no, you can't get the shot. We're going to go out of our way, out of our way to find a minority to give this shot to. Well, that seems rather discriminatory, especially if you go there, because if you have to go hunt somebody down to go give them a shot, especially if they don't want it, right? Everybody knows that these vaccines are happening. They're doing a very good public announcements on all these vaccines and how important they are to get it finally. And so for what? I don't understand what the end game is. What is the purpose of the demogra uh, demographic breakdown on this? to only stir up division because you're going to see, oh, well, too many white people are getting this. Well, are they going to say white people? Because a lot of times they don't say uh, Latinos. And in her thing, they talk about the breakdown and she says, well, you know, not enough Latinos are getting it. But when I check the block, it doesn't give me an option to say Hispanic. It says white, black or other, I believe, or white, black or Asian. It doesn't give an option for Hispanic. You have to say white and then Hispanic. So if you just go white, black, of course, it's, they're going to say, oh, there's so many white people getting this. It's like, well, how many Hispanics in there are, are getting it? Are you breaking it down to, to that? Or are you just going white, black, other, right? So it's, it's questionable at best. And it's too early to break down the demographics. Right now, the first responders are getting it. Black and Hispanic Americans are more likely to work in jobs that expose them to the virus and are more likely to suffer from a more severe case of the virus due to underlying health conditions. So this is another important thing. So push vitamin D. Vitamin D is extremely important. People of color have a hard time producing vitamin D because it is produced through sunlight exposure and those with more pigmentation of their skin produce 
less vitamin D naturally. Apart from the lack of access, vaccine hesitation may have also contributed to the lower immunization rate in these communities. A recent Pew research found that 42% of black Americans said that they would get the vaccine compared to more than 60% of white and Hispanic adults. So again, it's a cultural thing. You treated this community so poorly, they don't trust the medical they don't trust the medical system and it's not going to quickly change. You can do whatever you want to do unless you're going to force people to take these shots. There's no way to really truly be equitable. You can you can set up a shot clinic right in front of wherever you want to set it up, wherever you think would be most culturally equitable. But if they're not going to take the shots, you can't force them unless you sign a law saying if we tell you you're going to get a shot, you're going to get a shot. But you're going to find an uprising of people because you're going to have if you have uh, 58% of African Americans who do not want to take the shot, what are you supposed to do? Are you going to force those people to take the shot? Are you going to force 40% of white and Hispanic adults to take the shot? Are you going to force half the country to do something that they don't want to do? That sounds like a brewing of a civil war, if you ask me, because now you're having the federal government encroach on the individual freedoms, which is an encroachment of the Ninth Amendment. Biden's nominee for Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, addressed the apparent inequity in an interview last week and appeared to share in Meng's call for demographic data to be collected. We already know from the COVID crisis over the past year that there are certain communities that have been hard hit by the virus, that rural communities have had a harder time getting access to resources, that communities of colors have experienced more cases and deaths, that seniors have struggled, especially those in long-term facilities. Well, that makes sense because a lot of, ter- a lot of people in long-term living facilities have heart conditions, breathing conditions. They have those comorbidities and there's a reason why they're there it's because not necessarily that their family can take care of them all the time because they have so many things that are wrong with them so they're in those assisted living facilities so a healthcare provider can help take care of them so of course a lot of people living there would have those comorbidities that if you were to um, catch covid would be extremely devastating to your health We have got to make sure that we have data on where the vaccine is being administered so we can ensure that, in fact, it is being distributed equitably. So, like I said, you can put this wherever you want it, but as long as it's not being forced, you can set this up at every place where white people are not. But if all the minority groups that they mentioned earlier in the article refuse to take the shot, then what are you supposed to do? Are are you supposed to. What? You're just going to have a bunch of vaccines go bad. So it's to me, it's more of a you need to win the hearts and minds. This is more of like a psyops thing. you got to convince people that the vaccine is safe and that, hey, you have to have Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. They need to apologize for what they did. They need to reassure the country. They need to basically undo all the damage they've done in the past year casting doubt on this vaccine same thing with the news organizations you can't go we need to do an we need to have an independent panel of doctors to ensure that this vaccine is safe uh says cuomo and newsome um before they deliver the vaccines and as soon as trump loses the election they're like i need as many vaccines as i get as i can get because we need them all because we're some of the most populous uh, populated states in the country what hypocrisy? It's like, well, did you independently verify the uh, 
the safety of the of the no well you know dr fauci said it's good well you said nothing can be trusted by trump for a year you can't have it both ways guys and you wonder why people are afraid of the vaccine you wonder why people are scared you wonder why people are unsure you wonder why half the country doesn't want to take it and it and it's not just those far right wing anti-vaxxers. It's actually bipartisan. There's people on both sides who don't want to take it. And it's because of this sort of nonsense. So before we keep going, why don't you go ahead and smash that like button. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And if you'd like to contribute to the show, please go to notcensoredyet.com slash donate. You'll find links available where you can contribute to the show. Every little bit helps. And we would like to grow and produce consistent quality content free from outside influence. So let's jump over to the hill. Lincoln Project co-founder John Weaver accused of sending provocative messages to young men. And again, this really bothers me. They are not young men. They are boys, 14-year-olds, 14-year-olds. That is not a young man. When you're dealing with a victim of sexual of a sexual nature, that is not a young man. That is a boy. Same thing with a girl. If that was a 14 so my daughter when she's 14 years old, I'll address her as a young woman. I'll teach her how to be an adult, right? But if someone, God forbid, if something like that were to happen to her, guess what? They did that to a 14-year-old girl and they better pray that the law gets to them before I get my hands on them because they did something to my baby girl. And it's bananas that the news reporting, they don't say they that he was sexting a boy. He was sexting a child. This is banana. Don't say young man. He's 14 years old and he's a victim here. He's being groomed. He is a boy. It's something that needs to be addressed. You can't. This is dishonest. I understand the argument of a young man being 17 years, 11 months old. Okay, perhaps. But 14 years old, that is a boy without a shadow of doubt. I'm sorry. When you have to wait nearly five years to be legal, you're still a boy. On to the article. A co-founder, a co-founder of the Lincoln Project is being accused of sending unwanted messages to young men, pressuring them for sexual favors in exchange for jobs and career advice, according to a new report. John Weaver, who worked for various national Republican candidates, such as the late Senator John McCain and former Ohio Governor John Kasich, has been accused by nearly two dozen men who said that they received suggestive messages from Weaver, one saying the messages began when he was 14 years old, the New York Times reported. The Times reported that Weaver in one message told one of the young men he would spoil you when we would see each other. Help you other times. Give advice, counsel, help with bills. You help me sensually. Weaver reportedly added, leaders of the Lincoln Project, an anti-Trump Republican group, they're not Republicans, they're Democrats. I'm sorry, because now they're saying, well, we're going to attack Trump. We're just going to attack the GOP. So they're not a Republican group. I'm sorry. Told the Times that they were made aware of the allegations against Weaver only when they began circulating on social media and elsewhere in news reports. There was no awareness or insinuations of any type of inappropriate behavior when we became aware of this chatter at the time, co-founder Steve Schmidt told the newspaper. Schmidt said Weaver denied the allegations when first confronted by the organization's leadership. In a statement on Sunday, the Lincoln Project called Weaver a predator, a liar, and an abuser. 
John Weaver led a secret life that was built on a foundation of deception at every level. We extend our deepest sympathies to those who were targeted by his deplorable and predatory behavior, honors that were deplorable. We are disgusted and outraged that someone in a position of power and trust would use it for these means. The Lincoln Project said the details of the allegations, as they were reported by the Times on Sunday, were beyond anything any of us would have imagined, and we are absolutely shocked and sickened by it. Like so many, we have been betrayed and deceived by John Weaver, the statement added. We are grateful beyond words that at no time was John Weaver in the physical presence of any member of the Lincoln Project. Well, why would it matter? Why would it matter if he was around 50-year-old men? He didn't have a thing for fellow middle-aged men, for fellow old guys. Apparently, he had things for little boys, and he apparently met them. So what are you supposed to do? I don't understand what is going on here. Why? I, it's just bananas. It's bananas there. It's just, oh, I'm glad that he wasn't in physical presence of any member of the Lincoln Project. Well, you know, all you guys are old. Unless you guys have a bunch of 14-year-olds running around, then I would still be asking a question, why the heck do you have a bunch of 14-year-olds running around? Weaver earlier this month first acknowledged sending what he called inappropriate sexual messages to young men. To the men I made uncomfortable through my messages that I viewed as consensual mutual conversations at the time. I am truly sorry, Weaver said on January 15th. They were inappropriate and it was because of my failings that this discomfort was brought on you. Revealing he is gay, Weaver said, I have a wife and two kids who I love. My inability to reconcile those two truths has led to this agonizing place. Um, so he, again, like a pedophilia. So homo. So I know this is going to be a controversial thing to say. I know Milo Yiannopoulos has talked about this, where there's a little different culture within the homosexual community, um, where grooming is not necessarily always considered a bad thing. Sometimes you do kind of have a mentor. He has talked about that. Um, but it is something where, you know, if he's attracted to boys that are that young, it seems to be more of an issue of liking children as opposed to liking men. That would be one thing if he were into men that were also in their 20s, you know, young interns straight out of college. But if that's not the issue and he's only targeting these teenagers, then the, the problem is with children. He likes little boys. That doesn't just make him gay. That makes him a pedophile. So that's something that needs to be addressed. That's something that needs to be talked about. That's something that needs to be looked into because we don't know because we're not getting all the answers right now it's just a lot of speculation people need to ask the tough questions and they need to hold them accountable again if this kid was 14 years old why are why is the hill reporting young man i don't get it 14 years old is not a young man if you're being targeted sexually by someone who's what in their 50s 60s it's bananas no Sorry, you are not a young man. You are a boy. You are too young to understand what's going on because you are 14 years old. It's ridiculous. Oh, just, it's ridiculous because I'm pretty sure when you see a teacher sleeps with boy, right, with sleeps with student, they say a 14-year-old boy. They don't say 14-year-old young man. So please, for the love of God, say 
he was sexting a 14-year-old boy. You need to put context in it, and it needs to be a negative connotation because it is. It, it shouldn't be something where it seems acceptable. Oh, he was just texting a – he was sexting a young man, a young man's 18, 19, 20 years old, right? Arguably 23, 24, depending on how old you are, I guess, depending on your existential outlook on life. You know, young man could be varying in age. 14 years old is not a young man. That is still a boy. Barely freaking going through puberty. It's bananas. Don't try to jump through those mental gymnastics with me. Sorry. Unacceptable. Not going to happen. All right. Media outlets conspire to slime uh, Senator Tom Cotton. So I talked about this last week. I'm just going to touch on it again because now... Uh, Glenn Kessler of the Washington Post actually gave it to Pinocchio saying that when Tom Cotton says he has the Ranger tab, that he is a liar. And they used those articles from Slate, I believe, where they changed the context, where they changed what they said, what it means to be a Ranger. And they used that as a reference to give the Pinocchios. And that's bananas. That is Orwellian doublespeak. We're going to change the meaning of words. We're going to change history. The only history is now. There is no history back then where it's the only thing that happens is what's happening now that history is today and basically don't worry about what happened yesterday history is today history is what we say it is and i'll show you what's going on last weekend salon yeah salon not slate i'm sorry uh an online magazine whose best days were probably 15 plus years ago and now appears to be a little more than a low rent clickbait version of mother jones published a hit piece on senator tom cotton accusing the man who served one tour in iraq and another in afghanistan and was awarded a bronze star of stolen valor in his first run for congress cotton uh, leaned heavily on his military service claiming to have had a u.s army ranger or claiming to have been a U.S. Army Ranger in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, rather, Cotton attended Ranger School, a two-month-long small-unit tactical infantry course that literally anyone in the military is eligible to attend. And that is not true. My job was not eligible to be um, to go to Ranger School because my job was not eligible for that. Um, soldiers who complete the course earn the right to wear the Ranger tab, a small arch that reads Ranger, but in the eyes of the military, that does not make them an actual Army Ranger, which is... BS. If you earn the Ranger tab, that means you did something that the majority of the people in the military are unable to do, right? A lot of them are unable, unwilling. They do not have the intestinal fortitude to go through that nonsense for months. And people go to Ranger school and they lose so much weight because it's just grueling. It's just a grind for months. I've seen friends that I went to special forces selection with that I dropped out of because I injured myself and I just couldn't hack it. But friends that made it through selection and then went through ranger school and they came back like a little string bean because they lost so much weight. It is rigorous. Do not try to downplay it. Do not try to say, well, that doesn't make no shut up because you even have special forces people with the ranger tab. And guess what? They're still rangers, but they're special forces. So shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. There's a plethora of problems here, many of them recounted by National Review John McCormick. Yes, anyone could attend Ranger School, but relatively few complete it. Anyone commit, can uh, submit something to Salon for publication, but only one brain dead hacks, or one only brain dead hacks can actually get jobs there. 
What makes a ranger a ranger? And then there's the line that's the crux of the entire charge against Cotton. Does earning the ranger tab make you a ranger? Or is it only if you served in the 75th Ranger Regiment? The hack journalist Roger Solensberger cites no military authority for his contention uh, that the ranger tab is some sort of consolation prize given out to scrubs who graduate but don't serve in the 75th. Instead, he leans heavily on fact check by the Washington Post's Again, uh, Glenn Kessler, who gave two Pinocchios to another GOP Senate hopefuls in New Hampshire, who also graduated from Ranger School, but did not serve in the 75th Ranger Regiment, nor did he claim to have. Sollenberger's piece also includes this stunning bit, three paragraphs from the bottom. Kessler went to the retired colonel. Uh, Kessler went to the retired colonel who headed the Ranger School between 2014 and 2016, who said the difference was indeed a matter of debate, but concluded should he uh, was a Ranger qualified in his ads? Probably, maybe. So basically, it, the the colonel who was in charge of the Ranger School said, well, he was Ranger quality, uh, Ranger qualified. Should he say he was Ranger qualified? Well, yeah. If he had the tab, probably, yeah, he is a Ranger qualified because he went to Ranger school. He's tabbed. He is a Ranger. He just wasn't part of the regiment. Probably, maybe. This is what Kessler hung on to, uh, hung two Pinocchios on, and Sullenberger believes is stolen valor. As McCormick piece lays out, there is plenty of evidence that the belief that you have to have served in the 75th to truly be able to call yourself a ranger is at best a minority view. Retired Command Sergeant Major Rick Moret, who served in the 75th Ranger Regiment, told the Arkansas Times over the re- uh, weekend that Salon's attack on Cotton was absurd, unfair, and almost slanderous. He's 100% a ranger said Merritt. He will always be a ranger. Both Major General Scott Miller and Scott Miller and then Secretary of the Army John McHugh called all graduates of Ranger School in 2015 that they had the right to call themselves Ranger. To qualify for the U.S. Army Rangers Association Ranger Hall of Fame, service in the 75th is not required. The media treating Orwell's 1984 as a how-to guide McCormick's piece also references a plethora of media outlets, including Times, CBS News, NBC News, Fox News, Newsweek, referring to Ranger School graduates as Rangers. Newsweek, the defunct print outlet that appears to exist mainly to drag journalism through the muck, that's obviously editorialized, went through the trouble of updating nearly a five-year-old story to erase two women's accomplishments in the service of smearing cotton. Courtesy of Internet Archive, here's the lead on the story as it appeared as recently as October 4th or October 24th, 2020. For the first time in the Army Ranger School's 64 year of history, two women will have completed the intense training program and will become Rangers. As it appears today, for the first time in the Army Ranger School's 64 history, two women will have completed the intense training program and will be allowed to wear the coveted Ranger tab on their uniforms. They appended, they appended correction. Uh, correction, this article has been changed to note that the completion of the course allows one to wear the Ranger tab, but, that not, but does not make one a Ranger. That is crazy. And then they add a joke. Working for Newsweek allows you to pretend to be a journalist. It does not make you one. So this, again, this just doublespeak. It's bananas. You can't change it. And then they talk about the preference thing. I think I brought it up last time where they talked, they used the Wayback When machine and basically said preference, you know, the act of preferring. Basically, side by side, it's good, it's good, it's good until definition five, where before it said orientation, sense to be, sexual uh, preference. And then five on the updated one during the ACB hearings, offensive, see usage paragraph below, 
sexual preference. So they changed the meaning of the word in order to have a gotcha moment. So it is bananas. I don't understand what's going on. Update, the U.S. Army Ranger Association has released a statement taking Sollingsberger and Kessler to task for attempting to take what the Ranger Association called a good-natured barracks debate and turning it into a cudgel to attack their political foes. I use that last term advisedly. Neither Sollingsberger or Kessler is disinterested. Uh, is a disinterested truth-teller. They are partisans working at mainstream media outlets, and I completely agree on that point. Kessler uses... Uh, information that is obviously wrong to try to say, oh, well, you lied. That's one Pinocchio, four Pinocchios, however many Pinocchios he believes that you deserve to get his point across. And it it is extremely disingenuous because he's not doing his job, right? If your job is to fact check, then you say it's up for debate. It's, I wonder if he were to say, well, we need more evidence. We need, you know, it's debatable. So you can't say he's lying. If you literally have one side saying, well, if you have a tab, then you're a ranger. And you have the other side saying, well, you need to be in a ranger battalion to have actually been a ranger. Then you can't say somebody's lying because it's literally up for debate. It's not lying. It's up for debate, right? It's debatable. It's not a lie. It's something that needs to be uh, researched and farther. We'll look more into it. We'll check into the U.S. Army Ranger Association. We'll check into the leadership from these Ranger Academies. We'll check into all these things. But they're not doing that. They're just saying, well, we found one source. We changed an article three years ago, and we're using that as our base of reference. That's BS on so many levels. You can't change history to drive a narrative. Again, you can't have a united country where you can't even have a consistent history. Just come on, guys. Be authentic. Be honest. Do your job. Do your darn job. It is ridiculous that you are resorting to this. To this, Are you saying that he's done nothing else worse than this? Are you telling me that he is untouchable other than this one thing, then he sounds like a pretty good politician. He might be a butthole. A lot of people say he's a really bad guy. But if this is the worst thing you can dig up on Tom Cotton, then maybe he's not is such a bad person. Like, I don't know. If this is the worst thing you can pull up, then possibly the problem is with you and not with him. But until next episode, which is going to drop down in a couple hours, I'll see you all later, friends. Bye. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode, I'll be discussing how Tim Ryan might possibly run for the Ohio Senate seat and Hillary Clinton is already giving him the kiss of death. I'll be talking about Brian Stelter's freedom of reach rant and how he's getting called out as it's an attack on the First Amendment. I'll briefly touch upon the Myanmar uh, coup and the declaration of a state of emergency and the Hill reports 80 journalists arrested amid Russian protests. So let's get started. Former Secretary of State and failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton urged Representative Tim Ryan to run for the Ohio Senate being vacated when current Senator Rob Portman retires at the end of his term. Representative Tim Ryan is seriously considering running for U.S. Senate in 2022, tweeted Kathy DeCristofario. 
I can't pronounce that, a Democratic National Committee memory, uh, member. Ohio needs uh, leaders like Tim Ryan to fight for working people. I'm all in. Clinton, the 2016 failed presidential nominee, chimed in with a tweet of her own saying, you're right, Kathy. So I'm going to be interested to see. They continue in the article basically saying how Ohio is drifting farther red. They're going farther right. And I don't see how these policies being proposed by Joe Biden is going to help that. You're going to see people who did vote blue. I know people who are conservatives. I know people who are Republicans and said, this is my first time ever voting for a Democrat. And they're going, I don't understand. He said he was a moderate. He didn't say he was a progressive. He didn't say he was going to be doing all this stuff. He said he wasn't going to be doing all these things that he's already doing. And you have everybody else saying he said it. The news just didn't report it. You didn't open your eyes. You didn't open your ears. You didn't do your homework to understand what he was saying. And the only reason behind it was because depending on his audience, he would change his narrative. He would change his story. He would change his mission objective. He would say, oh, no, I'm not going to end fracking. I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to do X, Y, or Z. Oh, don't worry about it. There's going to still be fracking. Oh, I'm pro-union. Don't worry about it. And then the first thing he does is cut thousands of union jobs. He gets the Canadians upset. He ruins women's sports in high school and college. It's bananas. So I know a lot of people who were conservatives who voted blue thinking I can't vote for Trump because orange man is bad. Orange man as a person is bad. They couldn't look past his personal uh, like foibles, right? They couldn't look past his imperfections. They wanted somebody in a prettier package. And Joe Biden was that person in a forgetful, pretty package. Let's jump over to CNN and Brian Stelzer. There is up in the sky information pollution and the polluters are trying to deflect blame. Dishonest cries of censorship are filling Fox's airwaves with charges that these guys right here are being suppressed. Well, I mean, they're not just talking about censorship. They're also talking about cancel culture and all that. It's kind of a package deal, correct? And also, I'm old enough to remember when people on the left start getting censored, start getting canceled. They complain. They go, why am I? I agree with you. Why am I being canceled? No. You need to speak out for all cancellations. You need to speak out for all censorship because guess what? Eventually it'll come for you. I'm going to fast forward a bit for this because he kind of rambles on. And Tucker Carlson is telling viewers that this network, CNN, is trying to force Fox News off the air, which is patently false. It's as predictable as the sunrise. Democrats win elections and then Republicans say they are being silenced. But while well, I mean, they kind of are. The In the House of Representatives, the Democrats took away rights for the minority party to speak up, to have their voices heard, to be able to amend bills like they had given the Democrats when the Democrats were the minority party and the Republicans were the majority party. And the Republicans actually gave that right to the Democrats. The, de the Republicans actually didn't have that before they became the majority party. So now that the split is so tight, the Democrats are starting to take 
take those rights away, starting to take that vo- that voice away from the minority party in the legislator, uh, legislative branch. And it's disturbing. And for him to go, well, you know, they say they're trying to silence. No, they are trying to silence them. They are silencing them. There's not even a try about it. It's just how effective they will be at it. Well, some cry cancel culture. Let me suggest a different way to think about this. A harm reduction model. Most people want clean air and blue skies and accurate news and rational views. And then in that healthy environment that looks beautiful, then we can have great fights about taxes and regulation and healthcare and all the rest. The vast majority of people can agree that disinformation about, let's say, the pandemic is unhealthy. It's harmful. So how can that harm be reduced? Well, big tech platforms say they are removing lies about vaccines and stamping out stop the steal BS. So I'm old enough to remember when people were talking about vitamin D and vitamin D being important and they were labeling that misinformation. People were having their stuff taken down off of YouTube because that was considered disinformation. And now Dr. Fauci is saying, I take vitamin D every day. And that's bananas. You have people basically saying early on, we saw that people who were really, really sick from COVID, the overwhelming majority of them had really low levels of vitamin D. Perhaps maybe there's a correlation, correlations, not causation, right? But that correlation says if you have extremely low vitamin D, you, this is going to hit you hard. Perhaps you should supplement with vitamin D. It doesn't cost a lot of money. Uh, For a couple bucks a week, basically, it could be an insurance policy. It could help you out, right? So if you do end up catching it, which at some point everybody's going to end up with it, I'm assuming uh, it won't hit you as hard because not everybody's getting the vaccine right away, right? And it's not just that. It's so like it's so disingenuous to say there needs to be only one objective truth there is well there is one objective truth right there is one form there is often like what is authentic right there is the the truth but as individuals as humans we are inherently imperfect we see everything through the filter of our experiences and so you have three people witness a shooting and you'll have someone who was a soldier you'll have someone that's never been around guns before and you'll have someone who is deaf right and the deaf person didn't hear any gunshots because they're deaf you have the person who's afraid of guns never been around guns they heard seven gunshots because they heard echoes as well and then you had the trained combat soldier that said there was four gunshots. That person was shot four times. Four shots were fired, right? And, but the person says, well, I heard seven shots. They're both telling the truth. They just happened to mistake that echo as a gunshot. They're not lying. It's just through their experiences or lack of experiences, they thought those echoes were gunshots. And then that deaf person who says, well, I don't know. I didn't hear anything. Isn't lying either because guess what? Through their truth, through their the filter of their body, they didn't hear anything, right? So you can't say there is one, obje- so there is one objective truth, but you can't say, one person is solely whose sole purpose it is to uh, provide that truth because guess what? It's going to be colored through their experiences. Who is that guy to tell me what is true if he is biased, right? So it doesn't make any sense. And I think it's far more dangerous for someone to say, I'm completely object- objective and pretend to not be 
uh, biased at all than someone who says, I am biased, right? I have life experiences. I see things a certain way. I, I'm, the way I, I create my implications, my if thens, then that's are colored this way because of my experiences. And I am telling you my, basically my truth, my subjective truth of the objective reality, right? And I feel like that's far more genuine because that way I'm being honest with you. And it's so disingenuous. This guy is just lying, saying there is only one truth and you should only listen to us because we're the ones who tell you what it is. It's impossible to make all those lies go away, but they can be reduced. All right. Harm reduction. But instead we get this over on Newsmax. Look at this. Biden's plan to destroy America. It looks like some crazy comic book movie or something or some action hero movie. That's what we get on Newsmax. Here's what we get on Fox. Tucker Carlson declaring that unity for Dems means locking up their opponents and, quote, you can now be arrested for saying the wrong thing. What? And the government is at war with its own people. What? That's actually kind of true. Elizabeth Warren wanted to pass legislation to make spreading misinformation illegal. They want to basically label half the country extremist and domestic terrorist. So he's not being disingenuous. Perhaps he's uh, taking it one or be, perhaps he's being hyperbolic, right? Maybe he's exaggerating for effect, but he's not lying. Uh, but again, he is speaking his tr truth through the filter of his experiences and through the filter of his channel. He's not pretending to just say this is the truth, but he's saying that, hey, this is what's going on. This is the way I see the world. This is what's going. This is the way we think the world's going on. Because because people like to point out the lawsuit that was filed against Tucker Carlson and Fox News basically said, hey, look, he's a commentator. He's an entertainer. He is not a journalist. And so people said, oh, well, you know, so they're saying, well, he's not credible. Well, he's not saying he's a journalist. He's a commentator. He's a talking head. That's not his job is to report the truth. He gets information and then he basically talks about it. So if he's given wrong information and he talks about it, guess what? It's not his fault. He was given the wrong information from journalists. This apocalyptic stuff is day in, day out on these channels. It is part of a radicalization pipeline that pits neighbors against neighbor and lets fear overpower courage. And it poisons American politics. To, to borrow the, the pollution metaphor again, the people who live closest to the factory, who ingest most of the pollution, they get the sickest. Oh, and I'd like to touch on where he was saying that the uh, Joe Biden destroys America. Here was an article from Newsweek back in 2017, how Donald Trump is destroying America in three easy steps, according to John Oliver. So shut up, dude. Don't pretend like it only cuts one way. People on the left do the same shenanigans. The same news stories are being run. So guess what? Both sides have their boogeyman and those on the right are sharpening their claws and going, Joe Biden is our basically our scratching post for the next four years because he is going to he's going to undo everything Trump did and it's going to dial it back to where Obama had it. And admittedly, Jen Psaki said it. It's not like he's doing anything. He's just rolling it back to where it was when Obama did it. There's a reason why we got a Donald Trump. And it was because Obama's policies were disliked. So people need to understand that. Let's jump back to the video. But everyone is affected by this toxic information world. So most of the criticism of Facebook is not aimed at stopping social media, stamping it out. It's about making the platform actually more social, 
helping friendships, not ruining them. And most of the criticism of Fox News is not aimed at shutting it down, which will never happen anyway. It's about making Fox better. Well, it's the same people talking about um, not allowing Fox News to be spread on the satellite providers, the cable providers. You know what? If Fox News wants to breach somebody, maybe they should go direct consumer. Maybe the cable company should uh, carry them because, you know, they spread misinformation. So that is canceling them. So they need to shut up. Putting the news back in Fox News. They keep going the other way. If Fox is going to keep transitioning into the 24-7 Tucker channel, then maybe it belongs next to sci-fi on your channel lineup, not MSNBC. So who is he to say what, again, who is he to say what is the truth? Who is he to say what they're saying is wrong? Because again, colored through the lens of, you know, your experience, what they're saying is true. What they believe is the truth. What he is saying he believes happens to be the truth. So as a citizen, as a well-informed citizen, you need to listen to both sides. You need to figure out what's more believable. You need to figure out, okay, here are the merits of both cases. Which one seems more plausible? Or can they be combined to possibly create a more uh, reasonable reasonable, uh, conclusion, right? Can that more reasonable conclusion be drawn from facts from both sides of the argument, right? So that's your job as a well-informed citizen. These need to be nuanced conversations, not exactly nuanced orders. This is complicated, but harm reduction. So what I proposed was nuanced. What he proposed isn't. He said, you need to stop being a 24-7 Tucker Carlson. How about you start going back to news? That isn't a nuanced approach. Being nuanced is saying, hey, let's listen to both of these just basically people that are full of crap spewing hate from both sides and then figure out who's saying a little bits of truth in their lives, right? Because neither side is speaking 100% of the truth, say they're speaking 40% of the truth. So we need to grab those little bits of truth out of the air because they're going to say some things that match up and we can assume that those are most likely the truth. And then we can figure out what actually the narrative should be or what it could be, what the truth is most likely to be. It's possible. Harm reduction is possible by adding more news and less opinion to the content. Harm reduction is possible. That's exactly what he's doing. He's giving opinion. So shut the hell up, dude. By pushing some of the QAnon craziness out of your newsfeed on Facebook. This is not ultimately about freedom of speech. It's about freedom of reach. So freedom of speech versus freedom of reach. So again, what he would say I'm lying about. So if I were to say there were only three gunshots and he said, no, there's five. I know I heard five and you're lying because you said you only heard three. I was like, no, there's three. Those other two things you heard were echoes. And he called me a liar, right? Well, who's telling the truth in his reality, in his filter of experience or lack thereof, he heard five shots. Through my experience, I heard three shots. We're both right. I just happen to be objectively right. He's just subjectively right. He's not wrong. He's just not correct. So it's complicated and it's more complicated than just saying, oh, well, you know, it's reach versus speech. No, it's if you shut down what you consider 
to be lies if you shut down what you consider misinformation. Eventually, you'll be considered the misinformation. Eventually, you'll be that useful idiot who gets destroyed because you're the one who is loud enough to destroy your opposition. And then the people in power will understand that you're one of the people who are loud enough to now destroy them. So look out. I don't understand the cheerings on of uh, journalists for censorship. And then they cry when it happens to them. You can't have it both ways. It It is wrong no matter what. And if you ever cheer it on, then if it bites you in the face, guess what? I, you, you better hope you're the first person whose face that leopard bites because it's bananas. As a journalist, as someone on TV, as someone who gives your opinion, you need to support the First Amendment because if you don't, it's only a matter of time before you're no longer useful. It's only a matter of time before your reach is restricted and you're going to say, well, I'm the one telling the truth. Well, you're not telling our truth anymore. You're giving too much opinion. You have too much reach. You have too much influence. So we're going to take away that reach. We're not censoring you. We're not, we're not censoring you. We're not violating your freedom of speech. We're just taking away your reach. And he's going to cry about it like a child. Let's jump over to Myanmar. In an announcement on military-run television on Monday, the Southeast Asian Nations Army said that it has taken control over the country and declared a state of emergency for a year. Earlier on Monday, Myanmar's civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, I believe that's how you pronounce it, was detained in an early morning raid along with Myanmar's president, Win Myint, and other senior ruling party figures, according to Reuters, Channel News Asia, AFP, and multiple international news outlets. Myanmar military says it has assumed power for at least a year. Several diplomatic missions in Myanmar had warned against a military coup as tensions flared between the civilian government and the country's powerful military following November's general election. The new parliament was due to meet on Monday for the first time since Suu Kyi's lionside election win, and the military says it's carried out detentions in response to election fraud, a claim the election commission rejects. Local Myanmar military TV uh, has just announced the military has taken over control of the country, that the VP, uh, former military general, is now in, uh, the temporary president, and he was given authority to the military chief. This will reportedly be for a one-year period. So this is bananas. This is an actual military coup. For everybody who says that the January 6th riot was a coup attempt, that was not a coup. The military was not involved. It was not the military overthrowing the presidential authority and basically placing in a new president for a year so they can sort stuff out. And I know saying sort stuff out is just whatever that's not what i that's not what i'm trying to get at but what i'm saying is this is an actual military coup and this is bananas and if they have had warning i don't understand this happened on biden's watch these diplomatic missions biden should have been should have been keeping a closer eye on this biden needs to be keeping a close eye on everything going on i've noticed a lot of these 
things going on since Biden has become president to see, to kind of test him, to see what he's willing to let slide. And it seems that he's willing to let slide a lot. He's go- he's not doing anything other than what incre- wanting to increase troop presence in the Middle East. China is doing things. Russia is doing things. North Korea is doing things. Now Myanmar is doing things. And he's not doing anything because it is not affecting the oil industry. It's not affecting the finance industry. There is no money in it for America. So it is disturbing. He needs to do something about it. And by what, mum's the word? What's going on, guys? I don't understand. I thought he was going to be tough. I thought he was going to be a real leader. He needs to speak up. The the United States needs to make sure that this doesn't get out of hand. Democracy needs to be a thing because guess what? Democracy is far better than a military occupation of a country. It is going to be far more civil because eventually those people aren't going to be in jail because if the military was willing to throw their president and their president-elect inside jail, they're probably more than willing to kill them when the time is right. So the U.S. needs to act quickly in a diplomatic way. If diplomatic ways don't work, The U.S. has assets available to address the issue, but it's something that needs to be taken care of or another country will. And do we want that to happen? Sadly, America is the nation's police. America is the arbiter of democracy. We're the ones who essentially created it, the our form of democracy, right? And so far, it seems to be working pretty well, except for now everything happens to have election fraud, apparently. So we just need to figure out a way to basically figure out the best way to address this issue. But the only it's it's just going to take time. And this is a breaking story. So we don't know what's happening. And. Biden needs to address this. He needs to take this train on head on. So from the Hill, around 80 journalists were arrested in Russia over the weekend amid continued protest against detainment of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, according to the free expression nonprofit PEN America. More than 5,000 Russians have been arrested during pro-Navalny demonstrations, which have been called uh, for Russian President Vladimir Putin to resign. Citing reports from local Russian media, PEN America found that around 80 journalists have been arrested this weekend. Among those arrested were Sergei Smirnov, editor of the alternative new outlet Media Zona, and Anton Feinberg of the Russian media group RBC. The arrest and detention of Smirnov and dozens of other journalists is an attempt to intimidate and silence Russia's independent media during a moment of national upheaval, Polina Sodvoskia, Pen America's Eurasia director, said in a statement. As the government attempts to silence Navalny and all those who call for change, authorities only succeed in reinforcing the power of those dissenting voices and the fragility of the state. So, like I've said before, if you try to cut out a man's tongue it's because you're afraid of what he has to say if you thought what he was saying was nonsense you will let him spout nonsense and you'll laugh at what he says because he's just a foolish man spouting nonsense and clowns talk nonsense right but if you're afraid of what he says you're going to rip the tongue out of his mouth so he can't tell everybody else 
the truth. And that's what's scary. And that's what the people of Russia are learning. Maybe they're going, maybe they're silencing Navalny. Maybe they're trying to kill him. Maybe they're arresting him because they know he is a threat. They know he's speaking the truth. They know he's better than the alternative. That's scary. And now the people are in on it. The populists are in on it. And we'll see what happens if the Russian establishment can maintain order, if they can maintain their iron grip, if they can maintain their diamond hands on the population of Russia. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And that's why in America we have the Second Amendment, just in case the First Amendment fails. Dave Chappelle eloquently said that, and he's not a righty. He's a Democrat, from my understanding. But the reason why we have the Second Amendment is just in case the first one fails. And even Dave Chappelle understands the importance of that, because eventually there's going to be a point where you're going to install some dictator in the United States and you're going to have to fight as a population against a tyrannical government. It might be 100 years from now. It might be 500 years from now, but you never know. And that's why the Second Amendment is so important. Because the U.S., everybody says, well, you know, the army has uh, jet planes and bombs and nukes and hellfire missiles and all this stuff that they have, right? And they're not wrong. The United States Army has a, a – or the U.S. military has bananas technology. Think, but they'll never use that technology in America. They won't just level cities. They won't just – kill millions of people in the United States because guess what? The rest of the world will step in or the U.S. is going to have to fight wars on multiple fronts because eventually you're going to have other countries come in to rescue Americans because they'll see what America is doing to its citizens and then they'll have to step in and react just like America steps in to help people in other countries when their rights are being violated. That's the whole point of the United Nations. That's the whole point of NATO. So we need to figure out what's going on. Navalny returned to Russia early in January and was detained at the airport upon his arrival. He had been recuperating in Germany after he, uh, after being severely poisoned by Soviet-era nerve agent called Novichok. Newly sworn in Secretary of State Antony Blinken denounced the Russian government's response to the protest. The U.S. condemns the president's persistent use of harsh tactics against peaceful protesters and journalists by Russian authorities for a second week straight, Blinken wrote in a tweet on Sunday. I remember when Trump got his uh, coin sack punched in for tweeting stuff like this. We renew our call for Russia to release those detained for exercising their human rights, including Oleski Navalny. President Biden touched on Navalny as a matter of concern during his uh, first call with Putin as U.S. President, President Biden made clear that the United States will act firmly in defense of its national interests in response to actions by Russia that harm us or our allies. The two presidents agreed to maintain transparent and consistent communication going forward, the White House said in a statement. But from my understanding, they still haven't released the transcript. Where is the transcript? I'm old enough to remember that question. According to the 2020 World Press Freedom Index, the Reporters Without Borders, Russia currently ranks 149 out of 180 in terms of press freedom. It holds an abuse score of 53.38, indicating a higher level of abuse and violence towards journalists. No, no crap, Sherlock, right? Obviously, you have 
it's more of an authoritarian regime. What do you think is going to happen? People tend to disappear if they don't do things they're supposed to do. If you don't tell the story that is supposed to be told, you will no longer be telling those stories. Uh, there's no surprise there. So that's it. That's going to be it for now, friends. I'm going to drop another video here in a little bit. But until then, I'll see you all later. Have a good one. Bye. Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode, I'll be talking about how Dallas County exits their plan to prioritize vaccinating communities of color after state threatens to slash their allocation. John Cox, 2018 Newsom opponent, says he'll run again if recall effort succeeds. Chicago schools postpone in-person classes over COVID-19 safety plan. And finally, Biden coronavirus advisor says we have to call an audible. So let's get started. Faced with a threat that the state might slash its vaccine allocation, Dallas officials on Wednesday reversed course on a plan that would have prioritized doses for people living in the county's most vulnerable zip codes, primarily in communities of color. In Texas and across the nation, communities of color have been the hardest hit by the novel coronavirus, and health officials are grappling with how to ensure equity in the vaccine rollout. In Dallas, as in other major Texas cities, distribution sites are more commonly located in white neighborhoods, and early data showed the North Texas County had distributed most of its shots to residents of whiter, wealthier neighborhoods. Dallas leaders tried to prioritize any residents who meet the state's uh, criteria for vaccination and live in one of the 11 zip codes, which are all completely or partially south of Interstate 30, a dividing line that splits the county along racial and socioeconomic uh, socioeconomic lines, the Dallas Morning News reported this week. But Texas health officials pushed back on the proposal, warning that it was not acceptable to the Department of State Health Services. Why we, while we ask hub providers to ensure vaccine reaches the hardest hit areas and populations, solely vaccinating people who live in those areas is not in line with the agreement to be a hub provider. If Dallas County is unable to meet these expectations, we'll be forced to reduce the weekly vaccine allocation to Dallas County Health and Human Services and no longer consider it a hub provider. Garcia asked Dallas for an update on the vaccination plan by Thursday morning. Her letter came after Dallas County Judge Clay Jenkins wrote to state officials asking whether the county's plan was permissible. The county government is responsible for just 10% of the vaccines distributed in Dallas County. Most of the vaccines are actually distributed by ho uh, hospitals and other health-related institutions. In an emergency meeting Wednesday evening, Jenkins uh, successfully encouraged commissioners to reverse the plan. They could broach the issue again, she, uh, he said, but for now, they should ax the prioritization plan to ensure the county gets its next shipment from the state. In a spirited and at times tense meeting, Commissioner J.J. Koch, uh, Coach, who proposed the order in the first place, pushed to maintain language prioritizing the vulnerable zip codes and accused Jenkins of being disingenuous. Coach proposed tweaks to the order to meet the state's specifications while still prioritizing the hard-hit communities. I'm not willing to risk the vaccine for tens of thousands of people over the next few weeks because you guess that your order is good enough to satisfy the state. And the guy makes a lot of sense, right? He's saying you're hoping that the the verbiage you're using will satisfy the requirements of the states, but we're not 100% sure. The state is already pushing back. They're saying we're walking a tight line. Do we want to risk having thousands of vaccines? Do we want to risk losing all those doses for the citizens of our county? And if we're unable to do so, we're going to lose our allotment because of your ambition. And is it worth it?
I'm certain that the order will be acceptable to state official coach stop, shot back. You got us in the situation we're in tonight. The more you keep doing this, the more you're hurting people of Dallas County. Ultimately, the court voted to rescind the order, but agreed to meet again later this week to design a vaccination plan that will be transparent and accountable, as coach put it. We're all trying to get to the same place, Jenkins said, trying to pacify the group. No, we're not, objected Commissioner John Wiley Price, who represents South Dallas and raised concerns throughout the meeting that the county was not doing enough to serve vulnerable communities. Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson dis- uh, declined to commit, uh, comment on the debate. All hub providers agreed to vaccinate people without regard to where they live, including from surrounding counties. And we expect them to do that. That doesn't prevent them from focusing some efforts on specific populations, says DSHS spokesman uh, Chris Van Doysen. In fact, we directed them to ensure they are vaccinating people in the hardest hit areas and populations, but they cannot do that to the exclusion of literally everyone else. So what they're doing is we only want to vaccinate this area and no one else. And that's um, discriminatory. And that's what they're saying. So if they want to have their clinics in that area and then accept people from other parts of town, that's one thing. But if you say we're going to exclude people from other parts of town, we're not even going to let you get a shot if you're the wrong color. We're only serving this community, people that look a certain way, then of course that's discriminatory. And that's basically where they're getting at. So I'm going to be interested in how this develops. And definitely it is contentious. So like I said in a earlier video, you can have all these these, uh, vaccine stations. But if the community doesn't trust the vaccine, then you can't force it upon them unless they want to take it. So therein lies the problem. You have a president and a vice president and the mainstream news bashing on the vaccine for nine months, saying it was impossible, saying it was going to be a pipe dream, uh, saying that there was no chance in hell it was going to happen, saying that it would be unsafe, that Trump would basically uh, make force the CDC to break the rules to produce a vaccine by election time. So it's extremely, again, it's extremely disingenuous to now expect everybody to happily take a vaccine that you've been telling them that would be extremely dangerous or you shouldn't trust anything coming from Trump, blah, 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 because it's been pushed for a year. You can't have it both ways, friends. You got to pick a side. Pick a story and stick with it. Now we have to work on repairing. We have to work on building public confidence in the vaccine. You had so many people for nearly a year saying it was going to be dangerous. I wouldn't take it unless someone told me that I should take it, unless a panel of doctors said it was safe. And now as soon as Biden won the election, they said, boom, we have a vaccine. Now it's time to for everybody to get vaccinated no questions and if you ask a question about it you're automatically a right-winger anti-vaxxer and you don't trust the science and it's like whoa 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 hey guy pump the brakes i'm pretty sure you spent the past nine months bashing this vaccine i'm not bashing all vaccines i'm bashing this vaccine this vaccine concerns me every other vaccine has taken years to develop this one has taken months to develop So excuse me for wanting to ask a couple of questions. Why are you being so, why were you so critical of it up until the point to where 
you are no longer critical of it? Why are you now wanting to force everybody to take it? Why do you want to make everybody obligated to take it? So it's something to be asked, especially since the vaccine doesn't keep you from catching COVID or transmitting COVID. It keeps you from basically developing severe symptoms from everything I've read. There actually, it doesn't keep you from catching it. It doesn't keep you from spreading it. That's why you have to still socially distance, still wear a mask, still do all the things you still have to do, but it just keeps you from getting really sick. So it's, again, it's questionable. Like why? And until people are, until those questions are answered, you're going to see hesitation from the minority community who inherently doesn't trust, uh, government medicine because they had been taken advantage of for so long in this country's history. You had the Tuskegee experiments. You have just minorities being treated uh, very extremely poorly for the past hundred years through their through the healthcare system, through scientific experimentation and all that stuff. So until their trust is is earned, don't expect people to just what is it? You can take a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink, right? So don't expect them to just take the vaccine because the vaccine is there. You have to teach them that the vaccine is safe. You have to tell them why it's safe. You have to tell them that um, all the things that I guess that you're currently not telling people because now you're just saying that if you don't take the vaccine, you're anti-vaxxer and half the country doesn't want to take it. So you need to basically warm up that half of the country to be more than well basically more willing more acceptable to taking that vaccine let's jump over to the daily wire john cox 2018 newsome opponent says he'll run again if recall effort succeeds for former california gubernatorial candidate john cox said he would run for governor again should the growing effort to oust governor gavin newsome to uh, through the recall vote achieve enough signatures to get on the ballot the state is in crisis cox told the inside california politics in an interview when asked why he's committed to throwing his hat in the ring at the recall effort succeeds it's kind of the things I talked about during the run in 2018. House and homelessness are worse. Housing and homelessness are worse. But now we have the pandemic and the mismanagement that's gone on during the whole thing. We've got small businesses that have been crushed while Costco and Home Depot and big chains are doing just fine. We are also having our kids be kept out of school and being kept out of activities. Cox said the last straw, however, has been California's vaccine distribution system. According to Bloomberg News, California has only administered 60.6% COVID-19 vaccines doses they've been provided by federal government far more successful states such as west virginia have administered 86 percent of the vaccine doses they have been provided there are seniors all across the state that are facing literally life and death if they don't get this vaccine said cox who emphasized that california's 6,000 pharmacies should have been leveraged for covid19 vaccine distribution. He added, it's just one of a series of just instances of mismanagement. The politicians being led by Gavin Newsom have visited upon us and it's got to change. I'm just not sitting back and watching this. I'm going to actually do something about it. Look, I had the energy crisis and a recession, said Davis. He has a pandemic we haven't seen in a hundred years. He has the fallout from the pandemic, racial injustice, wildfires, and I think I'm leaving something out. But nobody, no living governor has had to experience as many crises as his, says former California Governor Gray Davis. He's totally transparent. He explains why he's doing what he's doing. He tells you whether it's accomplished and if not, why not? And I think there's an endearing quality about 
that or about him that voters like. And I call BS. He said he was going to be transparent about the COVID numbers, and he suppressed that information in December when he locked down again. And you had experts say, please just show us the information so we can figure out what exactly is going on. And he wasn't being transparent. He said, hey, don't go eat inside. And guess what? People said, hey, Governor Newsom was eating inside at the French Laundry. And he said, I wasn't eating outside. I was eating outside. It was outdoor dining. I don't know what you're talking about. And then photos arisen. And then he said, oh, well, you know, I'm so sorry. Can you please forgive me? I'm sorry that I'm sorry that you caught me breaking my own rules. I'm sorry that I broke the rules that I imposed upon you and broke, uh, just basically destroyed your business, destroyed your livelihood, destroyed your relationships, destroyed your lives. But just remember, I'm still doing extremely well and I'm looking as handsome as ever. And until then, then perhaps you should sit down, shut up, you peasant, and I'll continue driving the state of California off the proverbial cliff. Jumping over to Reuters, Chicago Public Schools on Monday delayed the resumption of in-person classes for thousands of elementary and middle school students by at least a day as the district and teachers failed to reach an agreement on a COVID-19 safety plan. The third largest school district in the United States told the parents of 62,000 elementary and middle school students who opted to begin taking some of their classes in their schools on Monday to stay home, saying it hopes to resume in-person classes for those students on Thursday or on Tuesday. Excuse me. The parents of 5,200 pre-K and special education students who begin taking in-person classes on January 11th were also told to keep their children home on Monday. The decision to postpone in-person classes comes after the Chicago Public Schools, CPS, and the Chicago Teachers Union, representing 28,000 public school educators, failed to reach an agreement despite months of negotiations. The two sides have been at odds on teachers' demands for stronger safety protocols to prevent the spread of the virus inside the classroom. Chicago Major, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot said on Sunday that the two sides have agreed on health and safety protocols, ventilation in schools, contact tracing, and creating health committees. We need a renewed sense of urgency on the part of CTU leadership, she said, noting that the talk stalled on Sunday. We are disappointed the way this has gone, said CTU President Jesse Sharkey during a new uh, news press conference late on Sunday, vowing to continue to negotiate. It's been a frustrating process. We are at the phase of negotiations where we have some really hard issues left. Tensions between the two sides grew over the last week after rank and file members voted 71% in favor of staying remote and not going back into their schools until their needs are met. So that's bananas. People need to go to work. People need to send their kids to school. Students need to go to school. Kids need to socialize. Kids need to play with their friends. We are human creatures. We should not be communicating strictly through the interwebs. We need to have physical relationships. We need to talk to individuals. And transmission between students and teachers are not that great. It will be more likely that teachers give coronavirus to fellow teachers than a student gives it to a teacher or a teacher gives it to the students. And that's been well documented in scientific research. And it's appalling that these teachers unions have so much power to basically just lock up an entire city, ruin people's lives, ruin people's plans. If people were going back to work and finally saying, hey, boss, I can finally come back to work. And then the teachers union the day before says, oh, wait, wait, pump the brakes. You're not actually going to work, friend, because um, they're not doing what we want them to do. 
um, that's bananas. And you, of course, you're going to have 71%. Why are they going to want to get dressed? Why are they going to want to drive to school? It's wintertime. It's snowing, right? Why would you want to deal with all that stuff? You don't have to deal with all those sticky, noisy kids. They're all on the computer. You can just mute somebody who's being noisy. It's crazy. Of course, you're going to want to take the lazy way out. You don't have to do a commute. Your work is going to be easier if it's all online. It's all digital. It's so much easier to grade. I'm sure it's just, it's 71% in favor of it because those 71% realize that their life is easier when everything is online. And before I get to the last story, why don't you go ahead and smash that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And if you'd like to contribute to the show, please go to notcensoredyet.com slash donate. You'll find links available where you can contribute to the show. Every little bit helps as we're still growing and want to provide more consistent quality content. So let's jump over to the Hill. Uh, Biden coronavirus advisor says we have to call an audible on vaccine distribution. Michael Ulsterholm, a Biden transition team advisor on coronavirus, said on Sunday the country has to call an audible in regards to COVID-19 vaccine distribution, warning a new surge caused by the UK variant is likely to occur in the next few months. Ulsterholm appeared on NBC's Meet the Press on Sunday to discuss the state of coronavirus vaccines in the U.S. and their distribution with host Chuck Todd. The news host asked if there if it was now the time to abandon the current distribution plan in favor of a new one. Well, first of all, let me just say that I've been one of those saying that we need to make sure that we have both a first and second doses of that and follow the FDA approval process. But let me say right now, we do have to call an audible. Osterholm, an epidemiologist, said the new variant from the UK would cause a surge in the next 6 to 14 weeks. I'm old enough to to remember when Dr. Fauci said we don't need to limit travel between the UK and the United States. When is Dr. Fauci going to be held accountable for his incompetency? Again, it's not xenophobia to say, hey, you guys have a new strain of coronavirus. We're going to limit travel between our countries so we can figure out what's going on. It's called being prudent. There is a pandemic going on. And if there's new strains that are more contagious, we need to restrict travel. We need to slow down the spread between the countries because now six to 14 weeks, it could just be a raging wildfire of coronavirus throughout the country. And if we see that problem, which my 45 years in the trenches tell us we will, we are going to see something like we have not seen yet in this country. He stated it will still be important that people receive the two doses required of the current vaccines available in the U.S., but said as many seniors as possible should receive at least one dose before the surge hits. Todd asked Ulsterholm if he was concerned about the homegrown strains popping up in the near future. I'm very concerned about that, but I think the good news is that I actually see action being taken with this new administration, unlike we've seen before. I call shenanigans. There was a million vaccine doses being given the day of Joe Biden's inauguration. Joe Biden had nothing to do with that. That was all Donald Trump friends. So you can't say Donald Trump didn't do anything. Again, there was a learning pains, learning struggles. He had to figure out what was going on. So throw the guy a freaking bone. And as these new vac- uh, new COVID variations and the vaccine is less effective against these and they need to produce new vaccines, what excuses are they going to give Joe Biden? I'm going to be interested to see and I'm going to document it and I'll report on it and basically say, hey, here is then and this is now because this is BS because when this was brand new, nobody knew what it was. China was lying about it. World Health Organization was lying about it. The World Health Organization wasn't looking into it. The World Health Organization was giving out the wrong information. And you're blaming Trump about it? No. That is unacceptable. 
Yes, some blame lies with him, but some blame lies with everybody. All the world leaders, all these organizations around the world, everybody has a share in the blame. So to say that, oh, well, you know, Trump did nothing and Biden's actually doing something. Oh, that's quite refreshing. No, that's BS. And so there really are efforts right now to, in fact, get us that kind of surveillance system in place as quickly as possible. And frankly, we need the Congress to pass the President's Relief Act because that'll help us also do more of this kind of work. That's interesting. I'd be interested to see how that would actually work out. But I guess it is what it is. There is a lot of funding for, you know, there is a lot of pork in that bill. There's a lot of stuff in that bill that they're not talking about, which is quite scary. They want to spend trillions of dollars that we don't have on stuff that we don't know exactly what they want to spend it on. And that's quite concerning, especially since inflation is actually a thing. Unless we go to war, inflation is going to hit, the value of the dollar is going to be less, and people are not going to have a good time. So that's going to be it for now, friends. Unless the world raptures and I need to report on it, that's going to be it for today. I'll see you all tomorrow morning. Have a good one. Bye.